This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Our guys today, we've got a special return guest to the podcast. His name is Joby Martin. So he is the founder and lead pastor of the Church of 1122 in Jacksonville, Florida. They also have campuses all over the place, but he's also a speaker and author. He's the host of the Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin podcast. And he wrote a book in 2022 this year called If the Tomb is Empty, Why the Resurrection Means Anything is Possible. He's got a follow-up book next year, but we'll talk about that then. He was also on this podcast on episode 307, so you can go back and check that out. But Joby is fast becoming one of my favorite people to follow because you know, I like his sermon style and I like how he preaches and I like all those different things, but I've gotten to know him behind the scenes. He and I have had a lot of conversations because the first time he and I ever spoke to each other was on that first podcast interview that he did here on episode 307. But since then, we've been able to develop a friendship and, you know, we lead off this podcast because we spend probably the first 40 minutes or so talking about mega churches because, you know, I know that I've said some very negative things about mega churches and I've kind of couched it in a very broad way, but he and I kind of had a Peter and Paul moment uh, where he kind of basically called me and, you know, called me out on some stuff. And we talked about how that interaction went because that was maybe only the second or third time he and I had interacted. And that was a kind of a private conversation. So we spent a lot of time getting into that, but we we do talk about, you know, how you can make a mega church healthy, how just because there's a lot of people that go there and because they have multiple campuses and huge buildings and, you know, all this media attention or things like that, that doesn't necessarily make them bad because one of the things you need to focus on is you need to focus on making disciples. And then you need to focus on continued discipleship. You know, I asked him about, you know, having autonomous churches, if something were to happen to him, like having this secession plan, like if something happens to Joby Martin, like what happens to Church of 1122 and all those different things. We talk about emotionally manipulative music, but then he's got something that he's about to launch, you know, coming up this fall. By the time you listen to this, it may have already been launched, but it's basically, I don't want to take it away from you or away from him because I want him to be able to describe it, but it's one of the most all-encompassing I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. It's one of the most all-encompassing womb-to-tomb initiatives I've ever heard a church do because his church is going to try to eradicate things in his area of, of the globe that most people would never touch. We're talking about human trafficking. We're talking about you know abortions. We're talking about cleaning out the foster system and getting these people these kids adopted. He's talking about you know uh, cops that you know basically need a place to to fill out their paperwork so they're not having to look over their shoulder and you know maybe they're going to get ambushed. So many different things like it's going to potentially redefine what American evangelicals would do or what would they consider to be pro-life. And I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I say that, but also we, we spent some time talking about pastors that get in trouble for real reasons like Robbie Zacharias or Carl Lentz, but then pastors getting in trouble for reasons that don't make sense or maybe aren't that big a deal. Like what recently came up with Matt Chandler, he's personal friends with Matt Chandler. So we spent some time talking about that. We spent time talking about the cultural influence of non-Christians like Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan. And then at the end, you know, I always got to take it here if I'm able to. We talk about jujitsu. So guys, if you hate jujitsu, if you hate got pastors that are forward with their speaking and the things that they say, you're going to hate this podcast. You may as well just skip it. But one thing I do want to say before we get into the rest of that, I do want to make sure that I acknowledge our sponsor of today's show. It is the one and only 
KC Cattle Company. Guys, I just made some of their pork chops yesterday, and my goodness, I've never made pork chops before, okay? I've always been a steak guy or did, did some other things, but I made some pork chops, and they were absolutely unbelievable. But one of the main reasons why I like this company, aside from the products being amazing, is they are the only American meat delivery subscription that is U.S. military veteran-owned, U.S. military veteran-operated, and all of their beef, chicken, and pork products, to include their pork chops, are produced here in the United States of America. That's KC Cattle Company, so they specialize in Wagyu beef. So some people hear Wagyu, and they're like, oh, I'm automatically not going to be able to afford that. That's not true. Obviously, you can check out the show notes. You can go to the link, and you can know that for yourself. But the thing about Wagyu beef, it's a different kind of beef. It's a different type of marbling. It's going to get you way more of that flavor that you like. But they sell Wagyu steaks, Wagyu roast, pasture-raised chicken, pasture-raised Berkshire pork, Wagyu bacon cheeseburger bratwurst. They have other kinds of bratwurst. There's like red, white, and boom. It's got like mozzarella and blueberries and cherries in it. It's absolutely ridiculous. They have their Wagyu hot dogs, which are basically like eating a steak on a bun. It's absolutely amazing. But we've partnered with them. We want to make sure that you guys can check out their products. So you can go to kccattlecompany.com. That's kccattlecompany.com. Use the promo code Kai to get 15% off of your order. Again, that promo code is just my first name, Kyle. That's K-Y-L-E for 15% off your order at kccattlecompany.com. Guys, we love this company. We support them. Just like we tell you all the time, you should support us. If you like the content that we're producing, you need to support content or sorry, you need to support, you know, the, these companies that are creating these products to get to the market. These are good people over there. I vetted them myself. Obviously we had the guy on the podcast to talk about it. Patrick, you guys need to support this company. Make sure you go out and do that. CaseyCattleCompany.com. But guys, this was a great interview. A lot of you love the first time that Joby was on the show and for good reason. Obviously he kind of took me by storm. I thought it was just going to be another, you know, guy talking to me about his book on the podcast and it became one of my favorite interviews ever. This one is no different, so I'm not going to keep him from you any longer. So without further ado, let's get into it. Joby Martin, welcome back to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. It's my pleasure, bro. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, I've, I've told you this off air, but I'll say it in, in front of your face as well. Um, your interview that you did with us earlier this year is one of the most talked about interviews. I still get asked about it. You know, people that have found your church and, and found some of the stuff that you've done in your books through that podcast. So I'm so glad that we got connected through your publisher. But it's going to take me a while to set up this first question, but I think it's worth it because one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on today was because you and I had kind of a Peter and Paul moment uh, a few months back. And so that's the way I'm describing it, like Galatians 2. Peter and Paul moment. So you call me out of the blue and because, you know, we had, you know, traded numbers or whatever. You call me out of the blue and you basically say, Hey man, what's your deal with mega churches? Why you keep giving mega churches crap? And I just start smiling. You obviously couldn't see that because we were talking on the phone, but I just start smiling and I'm like, whatever do you mean, Joby? Like, what are you talking about? And I, I don't want to ruin it. Maybe I won't set it up as much from there, but I found that to be interesting because in our modern parlance and our modern Christianity, we always get a little bit, uh, a little bit uncomfortable with disputatious attitudes or when people challenge other people. But it's like Paul walked hundreds of miles on foot to rebuke Peter in front of people because he was, you know, basically acting in a racist way, you know, because he had been influenced by the Judaizers and a whole bunch of other stuff. But anyway, I'll let you pick up the story from there. So what prompted you to call me? And then we'll dig even deeper into some of our conversations that have happened since. Yeah, so it's interesting. So the first time I was on your podcast, I um, I never listened. I didn't know you. I, it was one of about literally a hundred things I was doing because a book came out and I was doing the thing right. Yep. And and quite honestly, um, I started listening to you afterwards, and now I've probably listened to forty or fifty of your Undaunted Life podcast, and. Um, and a part of the reason too is is my son who is about to turn seventeen. 
he loves to listen to Joe Rogan. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like, what do I do with that? Right. Yeah. I mean, you could fight against it and say, no, that's one way to handle it. And a year when he gets out of school, he can do whatever he wants. Anyway, I was trying to look for an alternative. You were like the closest positive influence Christian alternative that was still a manly man. I start listening to it. And then you're just ripping on mega church all the time. And so I, uh, yeah, I was like, bro, we need to chat. Okay. Mm. And my greatest concern was not whether people like my church or not. I honestly, that's fine. There's lots of churches. My greatest concern were to the men listening to you because I think you were giving men another excuse to not go to church and they don't need any more excuses. They've got enough and they like you and they like your aggression and all of that kind of stuff. And I, I just don't want you to lead people away from the body of Christ. And I don't think you do either. And right. so I was honestly, bro, I didn't know how it would go. I didn't really care. Um, mm. I do see a lot of a younger version of me in you. And so um, it takes it takes a man, you know, to bestow manhood on another man, to, to call another man out. And uh, I'm a little bit older than you. And so I just thought, you know what? I really like this guy's podcast. I, f- I feel like I would really like this guy. So I called you. And honestly, man, you handled it with an unbelievable amount of humility. There was there was zero defensiveness, which well, I was kind of shocked um, because you are aggressive. I mean, as aggressive as it gets, right? And you mm-hmm. literally fight people multiple times a week. And you <laughs> verbally fight with people all of the time. So I thought your instinct was going to be defensiveness, and it wasn't. It was real humility. And, dude, I'm no expert either. I was just sharing a point of view. You know, I'm not Paul. Right, yeah. Uh, but but that that's how the conversation went. And and then and then we began having a bunch of conversations, as you know, but I, I don't guess your audience would. And so now we talk uh, maybe weekly. And mm. um, But I think it would be a good opportunity for iron to sharp, sharpen iron. And, and what I would say is this. I've heard, especially when you're talking about like the right to bear arms, you would talk about univaried analysis is a poor way to analyze something. And right. you're given a univaried analysis of the church if you only mm-hmm. measure it by how many people attend. And somehow you've got to start differentiating that because you want every man listening to find a good Bible teaching, gospel centered church. And hopefully those churches are reaching people. And so I don't think it's just the size of the church that you're criticizing. I think it's a style of church that is afraid to preach the Bible, is afraid mm-hmm. to offend people, is super effeminate, etc. Right. Um, I don't necessarily think it has anything to do with how many people attend. So that's what I wanted to challenge you. No, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you kind of giving the context of that. Because I, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure if you had called me two years ago. Like if this were two years ago, if I were responded the same way, because, because of my style and because I have an opinion on everything. Like when you go look at my one star reviews on my show, it's usually, Oh, he's so sure of himself. He's got such an ego. It's like, would you listen to a show from somebody that doesn't have a fully formed opinion on anything? Like, Oh yeah, I don't really know what I think about this sports team or I don't really know what I think about this book. Okay. Like, right, no, sure. you should, you should have an opinion. And so to, to a degree, I feel like, you know, you take it with a grain of salt, but honestly, I was like, I was almost happy 
to have somebody kind of big brother me a little bit or, you know, good uncle me a little bit or father yeah, me sure. a little bit in that way, because I've never really had a, a spiritual father or a spiritual mentor in any of those types of things. And so it was almost like I felt that maybe you caught me in a good mood. Maybe I just had steak for lunch or something like, I don't really know because I am a very defensive person. I'm very, very prideful and I have to constantly fight against that. But I guess the thing that I appreciated about it, Joby, is it goes back. So you mentioned, you know, Joe Rogan, who has such a, a tremendous influence, even on Christian men. Here's another guy, George. Jordan Peterson has a tremendous mm -hmm. influence as a non-Christian on Christian men, you know, be precise in your speech. I think that's in his first uh, rules book that he did. Yeah. And that was like, oh my gosh, like I wasn't being very precise in my speech. I knew what I meant when I brought up mega churches, but what everybody else was probably hearing was not what I meant. And for somebody that, you know, basically talks for a living, like I want to make sure that I'm as clear as possible. So you gave me an opportunity and guys, when this episode is going to be released, there are some interviews that I've already recorded where my, my, you know, language is not going to be as precise. That'll come out after this. So it'll be kind of all over the place, um, a little bit, but it, it's allowing me to be more precise when I'm talking about healthy churches, because there are healthy churches of all types of sizes, but let's kind of dig in because most of our time today is going to be spent talking on the mega church deal. So when people normally see or think of mega churches, they think of enormous multi-site churches with, you know, a great speaker that doesn't necessarily dig into the Bible. Maybe it's kind of life coachy stuff with a little bit of Bible verses sprinkled over the top. That's the church that I went to for like 12 years, right? It's basically mm -hmm. that type of thing. You don't really see discipleship happening. You don't really know if people have actually given their lives to Christ or if they were just emotionally manipulated by the music. So let's dig into to the first thing. Well, let's actually dig into music because I brought that up and then we'll get into the more important stuff like discipleship. So yes, you have yep. a multi-site church. Yes, it's enormous. One of the things that really, really bothers me about churches of any size is when they start playing this emotional music during the altar call, you know, if I were to colloquially call it that, because then I'm wondering, are these people being emotionally manipulated to raise their hand? And then they're given this false sense that they've actually received the gospel. So that seems like a very, very minute thing, but I know that bothers a lot of other people because they've told me the same. So talk to me a little bit about that when it comes down to just the style of the presentation from the stage. Well, I think there's all kind of worship that's described, particularly like in the book of Psalms, you know, there are war cries. That's what the word, that's what the phrase new song means. It was actually a song of victory. And they would get together and chant the victory before they went and fought and then come home and sing the new song again. So sometimes like the word hallelujah itself means like to jump up and down and turn around. It was like a yeah. parade term. And then there are other songs and psalms that are uh, come from the same word that we get the word Sabbath. And, and it's translated like, let us come worship and bow down. And they're soft and melodic. And David played a harp. And then sometimes he could rip a lion apart with his hands. So... <laughs> It's not it's 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 not either or. Hopefully the church has a breadth of of like emotions behind the song. And emotionalism for sure should be avoided, but we are to worship God with our emotions. So for sure, man, it's threading the needle there. And and bro, we play all kind of different songs and we play certain songs at the end of the service that are in a certain style. And we place different songs at the beginning of the service, all that kind of stuff. We just want it to enhance and focus, literally focus it on the Lord, man, straight up. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not trying to emotionally manipulate people. And part of the reason, part of the way you see that is how much follow up we try to do with anybody that makes any forward step towards Jesus. Because essentially, we're just trying to disciple people, disciple them in worship, mm -hmm. disciple them in Bible study, disciple them in mission, disciple them in everything. Um, 
And then also, man, you know, the style of music at your church, it really does. It's reflective of the people that are in charge of making those decisions. I got saved at camp. I'm a camp guy, man. I love it. I did youth ministry for 15 years. And I, I love the end of our services where we play some some music that it's always going to be theologically accurate or I'll either change the words or we don't sing it. But mm-hmm. man, I want to stir the affections of people's heart. I don't think when the woman comes in and breaks the alabaster jar, that was just like a robotic kind of thing, bro. She is pouring out her heart and soul and tears on the feet of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And at some point, if that does, if you don't do some version of that, no matter how manly you are, and I'm as manly as they get, then something's off. Now, you might primarily be like a cerebral guy, and you'd rather sing hymns that sound like, you know, just kind of very robotic. But mm-hmm. at some point, man, if your heart's affections are not stirred for the beauty of Christ, not just the the efficiency of him to keep you out of hell, but the the beauty of Christ who lived and died, was resurrected, and is coming back to get you, then something's off. And so we're trying to help people in all of those lanes worship God more holistically when it comes to music. Well, let's, let's talk about, I want to talk about discipleship a lot more, but I want to couch that really quick because I heard you say this in another talk or another interview, and then you just said it again there, that you will actually change the lyrics of songs that are sung at your church if the original lyrics as they were written by the the writer of the song are maybe Correct. not theologically accurate or at least theologically Correct. ambiguous or something like that. And so for me, like I feel the emotion of God when I listen to brutal music that also, you know, worships God. So bands like for today, you know, some Is of all the ones that like starts your show. So what starts my show is August Burns Red. And so, uh, you know, they're not a a Christian band as it were, but like, I will tell you whenever I've been at, like, you know, when people go to like worship sets or, you know, worship night at church and they're all handsy and all that kind of stuff. I've never really gotten into that because the music for whatever reason doesn't really agree with me. But when I've gone to bands like for today, or, uh, I mean, living sacrifice or these bands that are so adept in their gospel understanding, but they bring it through a brutal music. That's where I worship. Not like that. It's, you know, by slamming into somebody else and screaming and doing all those other different things. So it's just a different style. And I know that's not really conducive to a massive church environment, but talk to me a little bit about why you would even dare to change the words of songs because, you know, the woman that that's targeted to the woman that, you know, K love and air one think about whenever they allow music on their radio stations, you know, she understands the words as she's, you know, listened to it 10 times that day, driving around doing errands when she's listening to K love. And then here you are messing with the words, which almost seems like you're manipulating the artist. and you say, Hey, I'm not an artist, but here I am manipulating the artistry or whatever. So I know you've gotten that, that feedback and that kickback before. So talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah, man, doctrine matters. You can't mm-hmm. rightly love God without right thoughts about God. And there are some songs that are, I mean, they're they're just heretical, you know? Yeah. And so we're not going to sing those. <clears throat> or, But sometimes it's like the song is great, and, and you put the wrong word here that implies something wrong about God. And so we just we just change those words. And, um, yeah, it, it's not just about heart and feelings like if if i went home and said to my wife who has brown hair if i said to her hey i wrote you a song let me sing it to you and it started out with how much i love her blue eyes and and red hair she would not be honored by that song she would think right. you're singing about somebody else that's not me so we're not going to sing songs that are that say untruths or that are 
that are so man centered that it's just about me. We're in our church. We the 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 people in the in the chairs are not the audience. The audience is God. The people mm. in the chairs are the choir, and the people on stage are the ones that are actually you know like directing, not the other way around. Well, the funny thing about that too is the moment you said the word doctrine, and probably not a whole lot of people in my audience, but people get their hackles up because they're just like, oh, are you just wanting us to be one of those doctrine-focused automatons? But I feel like there is this this kind of schism and this almost dissonance between these two crowds where there's the theological crowd that their doctrine is airtight, but they haven't had an emotion since 1997. And then you've got the people that are just constantly gushing with emotions and they're trying to find that next hill song or Bethel or whatever music that they're, that is just going to make them see God in a new way where they're crying and barely be able to drive down the road because they're sobbing so hard. So again, I keep teeing up discipleship. That'll be the next question I promise. But talk to me about that, that little bit of that, because I get asked questions like that all the time. It's like, Hey, what type of worship are you into? And why don't ever you, why don't you talk positively about worship? And then they're like, well, are you reformed or are you this? And you know, what Bible studies would you recommend? And they're, they're testing me to see if I've got kind of the doctor doctrinal bona fides as it were yeah uh although you did turn me on to one of my new favorite bands the altar music that was you right did Boom. You hey, hey, what's funny about that? Hold your hold your uh, note on that. So the sing the band I mentioned earlier twice for today, that is probably yeah. one of the most biblically based heavy metal bands I've ever listened to in my entire life. They are no longer together. The lead singer of that band is the pastor of the church. That that's called yeah. the altar out in uh somewhere in uh, in Tennessee. I forget the Tennessee, name of yeah. Johnsonville, Johnson Johnsonville, Tennessee. Uh, Johnson City. That's right. Um, Johnsonville. I'm thinking about bratwurst. I'm hungry. But like, <laughs> no, like he's the lead pastor and he wrote some of that music. So yeah, brought it all together. Bro, it's super good. But what the thing to be careful about in uh, platforms like you and I have is you cannot take your personal preference and and treat it as a precept of God. So music mm-hmm. style is a personal preference, all right? right? And and so we've got to be careful about diminishing how other people have been created as image bearers of God and how God has wired them to re- to say he's worth it and to say, well, what you're doing is not as good as what I'm doing. So sometimes the worship wars that happened like years ago about what instruments are okay and not okay, now it's swung over to the other side where people are saying, well, this is like really authentic worship and what you're doing is not. I'd be very, very careful about publicly criticizing other people's style of worship. And and, yeah. and what's crazy, bro, so look, man, we are a doctrinally sound. I don't know what church thinks they're not doctrinally sound, but right. you know, I'm an, we're an Acts 29 church, so the amount of assessment I had to go through to like get the stamp of approval from Acts 29 is pretty high. And... Um, and you've heard me preach, bro. We're we're just a verse by verse book of the Bible, guys, most of the time here. Um, but what's crazy is churches like that aren't typically putting out the best music. They're just not. And I don't know what the deal is with that. Um, but we do. We write a lot of our own music here, and you know we got some really talented folks. But we are trying to do that. We are trying to put out music that could be helpful to other churches that would also be trustworthy according to the scriptures. Yeah, you make a good point about those those theologically based, doctrinally sound churches. It's almost like you're walking into a funeral when you walk into one of their services, and then you walk into one of these other places where it's the production level is you know off the charts and everything looks great, but there's nothing to it. And one of the things right. that I, I've complimented you on on your style, which is why I've come to be such a fan of what you're doing, is that people with churches that are your size 
that have multiple sites that have, you know, the, the fancy graphics and, and all these other different things. Most of those pastors, in my experience, they will jump into the scripture and then they'll jump right back out to their TED talk and they'll jump right back out to their life lesson or whatever. Whereas with yours, you will jump into the life lesson or the TED talk and jump right back out and go into the scripture. So you'll like just take a slight divergence and then you'll come back to the whole point of what you're talking about. What you just did like 20 plus weeks on, on Psalms, like on different Psalms throughout the Bible. And so it's like, I really appreciate that. But now let's get into the meat of kind of like discipleship and kind of how you do that. Every church does discipleship different. It's some varying levels of they don't disciple at all. They just count you in the annual report as the person that raised their hand all the way up to people that like they're chasing you down in the parking lot to make sure that you've got, you know, everybody's number and all those types of things. And so someone comes into your church and they make a, you know, uh, they they voice uh, that they're going to now follow Christ or whatever. Sorry, Calvinist, if I didn't you know couch that correctly. But you know now they're they're a Christian and the discipleship starts right at that moment. So what does Church of Eleven Twenty do Twenty Two do with that person? So first of all, I want to celebrate every positive step towards Jesus. Now I know the only reason, only way you can make those is if the Father draws you. So, but we want to celebrate that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of times we'll have people raise their hands if they're if they are signifying a first time decision to surrender to Christ. We're just trying to make every step um, simple and observable. So you can fill out the back of a card, turn it in. You can text the word surrender to forty four eleven twenty two. We follow up with you. You can find anybody with a name badge on and just let them know. Uh, we literally have people spying on the hand raises and just kind of go up to people if we can, if it, if it like makes sense, you know, we don't want to be weird about it. Um, but, but the number of people that raise their hand versus the number of people that actually let us know there's a really big gap there, but that Mm. doesn't freak me out. I think people, some people have been coming for like four or five weeks. And the fact that they had the courage to just do this, knowing somebody could see it, bro, what an incredible first step to say, I am responding to the spirit of God in my life. And oftentimes it takes them a long time to let us know. But then we have one of three lanes we're trying to get people into, either serving a disciple group or go on a mission trip. And the reason we do short-term missions has little to do with the needs around the world because God's just doing fine everywhere. It has everything to do with microwaving discipleship in the life of the believer, you know? Mm. But that's it. So everyone at our church knows you take one of those three steps. And then sometimes during the year, we might have a shorter step. Like if you're not comfortable going and sitting in somebody's house, we might have these larger starter groups that meet on church with child care. But all we're trying to do is come alongside people and help them take the next step and what it means to follow Jesus. That by definition is what a follower is. And so I developed this thing at our church that we call the discipleship journey. And it basically is you ask a few questions around our vision. And the question is just, what's your next step of, of obedience? And we're just always trying to get people to just take, you know, one step at a time. So let's talk about how that then moves its way into actually getting numbers around salvations. And so your church is like many other churches where you, you know, if you have a big weekend or you do a big event, you will say we had X number of people, you know, uh, profess their faith in Christ. We did X number of baptisms. We did all those different things. And I'm a metrics guy. Like I come from a baseball background. And so I want to see the numbers. Like I nerd out on some of that stuff. But the problem, it's not, I guess, Sarah, a problem. It's a confusion for me is how do you know that? Now, this back ends 
to a much bigger question, which is how the heck do you know that you're saved? And I've heard John MacArthur explain (laughs) his answer to that probably 75 times. And I'm still not sure, right? It's just kind of one of those things where you're like, Ooh, are my few, are my fruits big enough? Or are my fruits, you know, sweet enough that that I've actually, you know, did I get the Holy spirit? You know, it's always that, Oh, you have that internal schism. I'm sure Satan has a whole lot to do with that. But from y'all's end, like, when do you feel comfortable putting a tally mark in the, yeah, this person got saved at our event you know, you know, call them or whatever. <clears throat> Cause what we're trying to do is celebrate God, not us. And so it's so good that our name, our church name is so dumb. And I made it up because we <laughs> constantly talk about, there's one name under heaven whereby you must be saved. It ain't my name. It ain't the name of our church. Okay. So we're just trying to let people see those good works and glorify the father in heaven. The way I would respond would, it would have a lot to do with the heart behind the question. So the people that I can tell are being skeptical I typically say, well, if you make it to heaven, I'll be happy to introduce you to him. That's how we'll know. All right. (laughs) But I I would say you want them all to be saved, right? That's what you're asking because you want them to be saved or, but, but about half the people don't about half the people are like that. I don't think that's right. Oh, it's almost like they're like, oh, they don't meet my standards of categorization. And so they're almost like just pointing a finger or something. And the moment you do that, you're on team Pharisee, not team Jesus. I'm just telling you. Like Jesus healed the guy on the mat, said, take up your mat and and walk. And the Pharisees couldn't see the miracle. All they could see is the mat. So I'm trying to figure out, are you looking at the mat or are you looking at the miracle that this person may have just put their faith in Jesus? You know, because bro, my story is, um, you know, J.D. Greer's book, quit asking Jesus into your heart. So that was me. I asked Jesus into my heart about 20 times at camp, you know, (laughs) and then just to make sure if you had a really good youth evangelist, all you got to do is get all the teenagers to question your salvation and all the saved kids get saved again. And then, That's right. it's just, you know, you just keep doing that. <clears throat> and so we want to assure people that, you know, it's not just a feeling, all of those things. It's not your hand raised that saves you. I say this all the time. It's not your hand raised that saves you. It's, it's the life, death and resurrection of Christ that does. It's his work. It's not yours. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I say, if for the very first time you are admitting, believing, confessing, then, you know, would you let us know by raising your hand, that kind of thing. Um, in fact, there are oftentimes, if I have a friend of mine teaching here, and I feel like the salvation invitation was just a little bit fuzzy on who's supposed to raise their hand, then we're like, don't put those numbers down. And and, mm. and the only reason, you, you've heard all the thing, every numbers is a life, all that matters. But as mm. the lead pastor of this organization too, um, the Bible talks about fruit a lot and there are ways that real farmers measure fruit. They really do. And and it's not, and it's not like they just measure one thing. They don't just say how many apples did we have this year? There's a lot that they look at. And I'm not just trying to measure vertical growth. Like how many people were here at Easter? What we look at more than anything is the horizontal growth over time. Like, all right, if we, if this many people raise their hand and, and we baptize this many people and our disciple groups aren't growing at a relative rate, then what's wrong here? What are we not doing right? How are we failing our people and not helping them take next steps? So that's that's what I'm trying to look at. And if you leave any one of those things out, it's really hard to met like um, the Proverbs say, just look well upon your flock. Well, that's my job, man. How, you know, you would, if you're a shepherd, there's a lot of things that you're measuring with the sheep to 
to not only care about the individual health of each sheep, but also of the flock. And so we're, we have a lot of people that spend a lot of time looking at those things because we want to have a healthy church where people are discipled. Well, in the individual, like kind of looking at yourself individually, I remember when Dale Partridge first said this, it's like, I don't know if he said this on my show or if it was in a private conversation, but it was like, it's not how many years you've been, been a Christian, it's how many hours. And so Mm -hmm. your life is going to look significantly different. If you're like, yeah, I've been a Christian for 20 years versus no, I've been a Christian for like 20,000 hours. Like that shows a different level of, you know, the worship, different level of Bible study, theological understanding and different things like that. But also I think it's important. And I forget what pastor said this. So I would love to give them credit, but I I can't remember the guy's name right now, but he was talking about, you know, if once you get to the pearly gates, cause everybody likes to talk about that and they're like, all right, let's check and make sure if we should let this guy in or not. If your sentence starts with, because I like, they say, Hey, why should we let you in here? And it's like, because I, you don't get it. It's always because he, okay, there you go. That's right. So it's because he, Everyone, everybody listening or watching this, you just need to go to YouTube, put in Alistair Begg, the man on the middle cross. Man. I have preached this thing about 10 times. And I just say, I was listening to Alistair Begg and here's what he said. And that whole thing, he gets to the end and says, well, why should I let you in? And he goes, the man on the middle cross said I could come, bro. Dude. That, I mean, I still, so I'm in my office right now and it's right behind our stage. And when I, and I grew up playing sports and all that kind of stuff. And I watched that YouTube clip right before I go out to preach almost every week now. Right. You just need to set up a brick wall on your doorway. Cause that's the wall that you want to run through after you hear a guy say that, because you're just totally, like, man. yeah, because like, dude, you can wrap yourself around the axle with, with theology and with right doctrine, as we talked about, and we talked about why that's important. But then whenever people lose the gospel, whenever you yourself lose the gospel, uh, you lose the simplicity in, and in that you lose the beauty of it as well. So I, I have one more question on kind of the whole mega church thing. And then I'm going to move on to some more interesting topics, I guess. But since I've talked about it so much. I got to, I don't want to give it short shrift, but one of the problems about the church that I used to attend, and again, you guys have heard me say it. I, I've I attended life church, Craig Rochelle's church for, you know, 12 years or so that I think they started the multi-site thing. They started you version. They've done some amazing, incredible things. But I remember whenever I was kind of a leader amongst the volunteers and things like that, I asked one of their main pastors about what would happen if Craig got hit by a bus. And he, you know, didn't mm-hmm. come show up to life the next day. Like what would happen to all the churches in Oklahoma and the ones in Florida and the ones in, you know, Colorado and New York and wherever they were spread out at the time. And the answer was, is, well, we don't really have a plan. I thought they were kidding because this guy was really high up who I was talking to. And he says, okay. we essentially don't have a plan. And I was like, so, so they're not going to break off into autonomous churches that they're, they're not going to have every lead pastor be elevated, uh, you know, you know, campus pastor elevated to lead pastor and do all those different things. They had no freaking idea. Now I would like to think that they've probably developed something like that. I'm going to be very, you know, uh, genuine and hopeful that they have done that since then. But that's part of the problem with some of these kind of, uh, cult of personality churches, if you will, you have a, a Craig Rochelle or a Joby Martin or a, or a Mark mm-hmm. Driscoll or a Carl Lentz or whoever, and you've got these multiple sites and everything's great and grand until that person That's a rough falls. List, by the way, <laughs> I know, I know. I just had to that sneak list, a that few list people took a in turn there. real quick. Yeah, I did that to see if you're paying attention. But like, that's the thing is like, they've, they've got, they, they've got followers and they've got people that are interested, but then you, what if people die? What if they fall? What if they are now disqualified from ministry in some way? So I guess I'm set, te- 
teeing you up, hoping to goodness that y'all have something like that for Church of 1122. Like if something happens to Joby, the church can kind of go on and keep serving the greater community and the kingdom of God. But that's one of the big problems I have with mega churches as well, is it's all about the main guy with the main microphone. And then they'll just kind of let the chips fall where they may if something bad happens. So let me ask you this before I answer your question. Is it really all about me or am I just playing the role God's given me to play? And if I were to throttle back, maybe I'm being unfaithful, like the one talent guy, like, aren't I responsible to just do with what God has given me? And so, I mean, I'm not trying to make it about me, but I am the lead pastor and I do preach and I preach my face off and I yep. teach the Bible and I beg people to surrender their lives to Christ and people do. And then I push us to go reach more people and send more missionaries and plant more churches. And it, it almost seems to me people would be more comfortable if God used me to do way less, because mm -hmm. then they wouldn't feel like there was a bigger risk when I'm done. So first and foremost, it seems like if Craig Rochelle didn't do all that God has called him to do, then one day he's got to stand before the Lord and give an account for that. That's what Matthew 25 says, Yeah, that the, that the guys with the talents, they have to give an account. And I'm going to have to give an account. And I don't want to be the one talent guy that because of the fear of what may or may not happen in the future that I went and dug a hole and hit it. So yeah. that's first off. Now, if something happens to me, first and foremost, please pray for my family. We were I was 38 years old when we planted this church 10 years ago. I just turned 49. And the question I got asked all the time is, what's your succession plan? And I was like, first of all, could you pray for my family? Because something has gone horribly wrong. Either I'm right. dead, debilitated, or disqualified. So whichever one, please pray, okay? Yeah. And I don't know how you set up for that necessarily. Now, here's what I would say. We are a staff-led, elder-governed church. All of our elders are lay elders, and they're all actually old guys. The Hebrew word for elder is beard, by the way. So before it was a church <laughs> word, it just meant old dude. So we've got actual old dudes that love to tell me no. So they love me and I love them. But um, And then we've got a really talented staff. Now, currently what would happen is the current staff, my XP would take over and they'd give it a run. And then they would seek to figure out what the Spirit of God was telling them to do and do whatever he told them to do. That's the best advice in the whole Bible, by the way. That's John 2, 5, where they run out of uh, wine at the wedding at Cana. And Mary tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, it don't matter to me. If you want to change the name, cool. If you want to roll off all the campuses and the churches, we are set up to be able to do that. Um, and we have we have like legit campus pastors and every single one of them could preach. Hmm. Um, but we would just see in that season, just like we didn't know exactly what, we didn't see this coming. So I don't know exactly how we would be able to map that out. Uh, we do have all kind of insurance and all kind of crazy stuff, so everything be paid for. And but man, we we would just see. But I don't know that you can make plans on all the bad things that may happen one day. You know, it's really hard to take ground. Like I don't know the army that says, you, you, you know, as we put together this game plan, what we've really got to plan for is losing the battle. So hopefully, I'll get to preach and lead until my turn is over handed over in a really healthy way. I still want to be around here. I mean, I've given my life to this, this place and these people, and these are my people, man. This is my family. I love these people. And I also want to say, bro, I'm really, really sad that you had a bad experience uh, at that church. And, um, and I'm sure you could find a handful of people that would say the same thing about this church. I'm sure. Um, 
But that's not that shouldn't stop you from serving in a church, and it shouldn't stop churches from doing all that they need to do. Well, and I appreciate that. And and just to be to be very very clear, the problem with with the church that I went to with Life Church, it wasn't as much the church as it was the fact that I didn't realize that I had gotten basically I had served all I could serve and I had gotten all I was going to be able to get in about two years. Right. Like I, I got the point that is, that is almost like a church for dummies church. And then like, then they kind of, they almost want you to roll off to other churches. They've said that like, we'll help you find another church that kind of fits where you're at in your current walk with Christ and all that, which, okay. Like, you know, some, kind yeah. of a problem, but you know, that maybe that works. I don't know. And then, you know, the church doesn't have an elder board. It has like a board of directors. And, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff that I find to be, to be issues with the things that they do over there to where it's like, whenever they stand before Christ someday and have to give an account, I'm a little concerned about some of the decisions that have been made that have been great for growth, that have been great for planning churches and doing all these other different, really big otherworldly, let's go hang out with Kanye West things. And then ugh, it, it's just kind of tough on the back end. So the the one thing, so I, I want to kind of get off that because but a lot I, of people I, I go to. I, while we're talking about Life Church, since you mentioned them, I would just, they have been unbelievably helpful to us. Just so yeah. you know, like the 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 kingdom heartedness towards our folks and, and learning from them, they've just been really great. So um, but I did want to just say that out loud. Well, and I appreciate you saying that. And again, to everyone listening to this, because I know there are lots of guys that listen to this, like perhaps thousands that that go to Life Church. And again, as I'm trying to, uh, in my imperfect way, be more precise in my language and be more uh, directing in a way that's positive overall, you know, I'm going to stumble and kind of make make some some claims. But I'm just there are people that go to Life Church for three months and then they want to tell you everything that's wrong with Life Church. But it's like when you go for <laughs> over a decade and you see kind of behind the scenes and do some things, oh, you have some different things. And, you know, if you don't point out things that aren't going well, then you don't really know where you can improve. But I will say, let me let, let me give a little commentary on, yeah. on church growth stuff. So we do it. We do, especially when we first started and we haven't changed anything. I just think the world changed. So we don't do any like attractional model stuff. We just like, you know. Books of the Bible. I teach for an hour. We sing. We've never done. We don't do cover songs and stuff like that. We ain't showing showing video clips of movies. That's not what we do. We just glorify God and worship in word. Now we try to do it in an engaging way. But I think what happened, Kyle, is the guys that grew up in that model, which was really Rick, Bill, and Andy, really paved the way for most of us. Yeah. Uh, and thank God for those guys because you can preach in jeans and a t-shirt and. You know, it, it could be like normal humans could understand what was happening if they didn't grow up in church. So, but <clears throat> I think the world changed, bro. I don't think there's like a like seeker sensitive movement. I mean, the Bible says no one seeks for God, but but today, if somebody actually shows up in your building, this is just the way I think about it. They came to church, and I think what they're thinking is, regardless of what they believe, they're thinking, "I need something different. What are you offering? Just give me the goods, man." Don't bait and switch me. Don't teach me how to have a good family. And then be like, oh, yeah, see, that worked. Now let me give you some Jesus. Just right. give me the goods. And I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but the idea that stuck in my mind is when I was in high school, um, the armed services would come and recruit during the day in an assembly. Can you imagine how people would go crazy these days? Oh, man. And we sat there. And first of all, thank God for all the armed services. <clears throat> but the army guy went first and he goes, you need to be in the army because you'll learn a skill. You make the most money when you get out. The Air Force guy went next and said, hey, don't be in the army. Somebody will shoot you. Be in the Air Force. You get to stay. Like, you work nine to five, live in an apartment. 
the Navy guy was like, these guys are crazy. Come, you can see the whole world on Uncle Sam's dime, and they all talked too long, and the Marine went last. And he said, well, the other guys went over their time. I have two minutes. And then he stopped, and he just panned the crowd. And he said, but that's okay, because there's only like two of you that have what it takes. If you're one of those two, come see me. Lines out the door. Right. So that's how I preach. I yeah. I, when I preach, I'm like, most of you, you can't do this. There's no way you're pulling this off. We say things at our church like, you've got three years to go on a mission trip, or I need your seat. And if that makes you mad, get over yourself. You can go to some other church that's not going to ask you to do anything. Jesus discipled his disciples for three years, and then he said, we're going to the ends of the earth. And then I say, now, because of COVID, I'll give you three years and three months. And you've got, that's how long you've got, all right? And then you you got to go. Why? The Great Commission says go. So we do those things. One year, instead of handing out bulletins, we handed out child packets from Compassion International. Hmm. So think about it. Every person has one. And then we lined the back of the sanctuary with trash cans and said, you can sponsor that kid or throw them in the trash because if you don't sponsor them, they're going to be eaten out of the trash, ready to go. And people lost their minds. We sponsored every kid. So we do that stuff, not because right. it's a growth strategy, but however, somehow the more offended people are, it's crazy. They leave here. They're so mad. They're like, I can't believe this guy. They bring about six friends the next week to come check it out some more. So it's cause there's, there's something real to it. It's kind of the it same thing. Like you, you could look at it in any way, shape or form. You can have this vapid, you know, movie where there's really no uh, plot to it. You know exactly what's going to happen. Music that's incredibly predictable or something like that, but that we don't attach ourselves to that typically as human right. beings. Like there has to be some deeper. So even think about, it, I was thinking about a guy like George Strait. It seems like he's rinsed and repeated the same song multiple times, but why is he so popular? Because there's a story in that song that makes sense to you. And so you keep returning back to it because you've had that long drive on that that road and all you could yep. think about was the one that got away. And so you put on George Strait and like, and you've had that bad rodeo experience and you're sore and beat up. And then you listen to George Strait. Like there's something to it. There has to be something you can attach yourselves to. And so when you give people, again, to use the word vapid scriptures and, and these, you take them out of context and you basically emblazon them on a coffee mug or a t-shirt you're not giving them the true gospel don't hide the truth in the teeth of the gospel the teeth are the best part because that's what bites and sticks on you know what i mean so and before we go any further on any all of this stuff i love everything that we've talked about so far but you've been teeing something up for a while now because i've been listening to your sermons throughout the summer so y'all are about to move into a season and my understanding is it's going to be a year or two season so not like a hey come for our four week sex series or our four week money series it's like for the next two years y'all are going to be focusing as a church on something you're not calling it womb to tomb that's just kind of how i've couched it in my brain talk to me a little bit about what that is because then i've got lots of questions yeah sure it's a two-year discipleship journey uh it's called the 1010 life it's rooted in john 1010 what really happened is when the pandemic shut things down, um, to which we'll never shut down again, by the way, if they'll have to take me out in handcuffs. Um, but we learned a lot through all of that. But the overwhelming yeah. sense I had is our people need a shepherd, like when we weren't gathering together in buildings. So I sat down much like this setup, opened my Bible and did 99 devos, like just as if me and you were sitting down, I'd be like, here's some verses you can you should consider in this crazy time. And because I had this thought, like, our people need a shepherd, I kept going to Psalm 23 and, and John 10. Those are the two preeminent shepherding texts, Old Testament, New Testament, partly why we just talked through the Psalms all summer, and now we're doing this John 10, 10 thing. Bro, I don't know if you, I'm sure this has happened to you. 
you read a passage over and over and over. I've been a Christian for over 30 years. I've been a pastor for 30 years. And so it's like the spirit of God inserted a new word that you never saw there. Yeah. Sure. John 10, 10 says the thief only comes to steal, kill and destroy only. i would never seen that word only. It's not like the world's way is all right. And God's is better. It's like the mm. only thing the thief is trying to do is steal, kill, and destroy. And then I would get home and turn on the news, and that's all I saw was stealing, killing, and destroying. And then Jesus says, but I have I, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So we said that. Our, our, what we're going to try to do is offer abundant life to every single image bearer of God. That has to do with our what we're doing as a church. That also has to do with planting more campuses and planting more churches. We've planted 480 churches since we started. I want to plant 1,000 around the world within a 10-year period of time. And then also offer that abundant life to every single person that God would allow us to. And that means fight for life from womb to tomb. Not just be pro-birth, but be pro-life from the moment of conception to the moment the person breathes their life last. So we are partnering with all kinds of organizations, um, you know, Christian uh pregnancy crisis centers. Uh, we're running um, forgiven and set free Bible studies for people that bought into the lie of the abortionist and and aborted their baby. Uh, we're fostering kids and we're creating a network to foster for all the families to help them. Um, we're, we have a special needs, pretty robust special needs ministry in partnership with the Tim Tebow Foundation. We're expanding that. We're uh, helping provide special needs adults with job placement. One of the things I'm excited about is we're raising up an army of lay chaplains to come alongside our first responders and help get the backs of those that fight for a living. Uh, we're turning all of our campuses into respite centers for the police officers so they can not have to be watching their six while they're filling out paperwork in some shady parking lot. They can just come into our church and get snacks and coffee and air conditioning and Wi-Fi and all that kind of stuff. All the, uh, we're fighting against human trafficking, partner with the Tim Tebow Foundation. Timmy goes to our church, so we partner with them on a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, uh, fighting for the mental health, particularly of our upcoming generation, because our the adults failed the upcoming generation, and suicide prevention. And then also starting a senior adult ministry. One is to like take care of the really old people that need care and love and value, and then also keep the like, about to retire from my vocation, but you don't get to retire from the gospel group engaged and not wasting their life picking up seashells. And so we're running this thing for the next, well, we're starting it over the next two years. It will shape us for the rest of our life as a church. So, I mean, that that's just an incredible goal to have, but there, there's no but here. Essentially, that is so many things, Joby. Because some churches have trouble, hey, we need to raise X amount of dollars so that they can have this water well somewhere in a country that you've never been to. And they have enough trouble pulling something like that off. But I mean, you're talking about chap uh, lay chaplains. You're talking about, you know, uh, pro-life stuff. You're talking about, you are talking about pro-birth stuff. You're talking about fostering children, human trafficking, you know, people that have mental disorder. You're talking about all that stuff. I mean, just logistically. How in the world are you going to keep all that straight? How are you going to put that off? Is it going to be some sort of a combination of, you know, partnering with Tim Tebow and his foundation to do the stuff that they're good at? Are y'all going to try to become the experts? Because I've had this conversation with people as well. There are people that want undaunted life to create this, that, and the other thing. And in my head, I'm like, do I want to create it and then compete in the marketplace that that thing is created for? Or do I want to just offload that to people that are already doing that and they live and breathe that entire thing? So, so how are we pulling this off? 
Well, one of the ways is because we're a really big church and we have lots of staff and I can dedicate people to run mm-hmm. these things, but it's primarily partnerships. It's primarily fueling and funding and raising awareness and challenging our folks and especially men to stand up and act like men and go volunteer at the pregnancy center, go volunteer at the refuge house where the people rescued from human trafficking will be. It's uh, help create a support network. It's the large majority of it. There's a lot of money required and a lot of time and volunteer hours. But we can do it because we have a lot of people and they need to be like hands dirty. And here's what's great about this too. And whatever it is that that God tells you to do in our church, we want to fuel and fund that. You know, this is not an exhaustive list, you know. Maybe there's all kinds of things that will come up, and we just want to encourage people to do whatever the Spirit of God tells them to do. See, the real preacher at 1122 ain't me, man. Jesus says he's going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to teach you. So if you've ever learned some Bible stuff, you didn't learn it from me, because I can, you know, I'm an expository preacher, Mm. and uh, I can expose you to the Bible. I cannot expose the Bible to you. Only Only the Spirit of God can do that. So I just want people to have, like in John 10, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. And so I want our people to tune in and whatever he tells them to do, do it. That's different. Here's what happens in Christian world all the time. The sheep go first and ask for the shepherd to come bless the thing they're doing. We're trying to do it the other way. And so that's what we're about to get into. So with that in mind, how do you intend to equip the flock with the the necessary information to because again, equipping men to push back darkness, that's why we're here. Yeah. That's why Indaunted Life does what we do. How are you going to equip them with the necessary tools in order to fight back? And I say that in this way. So just recently I spoke at my church and presented how to defeat pro-abortion arguments, defeating pro-abortion arguments. Now that is one segment of the slew of of things that you described that y'all are going to be tackling for the next starting in two years and then beyond that. But a lot of the people that showed up to that talk were not equipped. They were well-meaning. They were pro-life if they had to pick a side and, you know, check check a box or something like that. Sure. But their entire worldview would have fallen apart if I had said to them, well, what about if the woman's raped? Well, you don't have a uterus, so how could you possibly make a declaration in this particular subject matter? And the thing was is they needed to be equipped. And you, have, I, you and I have talked about this before. You run a very, very dangerous, uh, you're running a dangerous race or you're playing a dangerous game if you're a preacher that preaches the news cycle only. And, you know, it's it's good to pop into the news cycle from time to time, especially when there's human suffering at stake. But when you're just mm-hmm. preaching about, you know, the, the FBI raiding Mar-a-Lago, that's probably not the best use of your time, Pastor. But um, the, the thing about it is, is I am concerned about these people that are going to be gung-ho and then they're just going to fall completely flat just because they don't have the information. So, again, I described one thing, just, you know, the pro-life side of things in terms of people not killing their babies in the womb. But how are you going to make sure that that these people are equipped to push back in these ways? Yeah, so my primary job, man, is to teach the Bible and inspire people to do whatever he tells you to do. And then we partner with a whole bunch of people to equip in specific ways. Now, one of the things is like, you know, you shared a YouTube link of you speaking so that I can put a few bullets in my gun if people have those kind of things. So I could say real quick, here's some ways that you can answer that these questions. Mm -hmm. But we will be like a clearinghouse for all kinds of partners and ministries in our city to use our facility and our people and meet here to train their people specifically for what they need to do. The way we talk about it here, our church is way more like an aircraft carrier than it is like boots on the ground. 
Okay. This is where we house people, we train people, we fuel people up, and then we send them off into the front lines. I mean, you know, the way Paul would say to do it is that you equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So that's what we're doing. Things like foster care, bro. I don't know anything about foster care. I don't know the first thing about it. I just know we're supposed to help in that arena. So you start down that road a little bit, and Governor Sanchez calls us and says, we're all in. All, everything you need, state of Florida will help. We'll do the training. We'll help the processes go easier. Can we just have some rooms, you know, to host that? Absolutely. The the First Coast Women's Service is the anti-abortion pregnancy center, gospel-centered place. We've been supporting them for years. All they need is more people, more help, and then they host classes on how to train us, et cetera. So I try to stay in my lane, be the preacher, and do church. I talk about anything the Bible talks about. Um, abortion is not a political issue. It's a gospel issue that has been politicized. These are very different things. Freedom is not a political issue. It's a gospel issue that has been politicized. So we talk about these things. However, I am sensitive that, that I want to be a pastor that is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. But you don't get a pass if the Bible clearly articulates, uh, what is right and wrong just because of, of your politics. You don't, you don't get to, to be on the other side of the Bible. A lot of people would love to have that pass. Now we got more ground to cover in this conversation, but for guys listening to this show that want to help in any even generic way with the stuff that y'all are doing out there, how can they help? Uh, if you just go to our website, coe22.com, then in starting in two weeks from now, whenever now is it will, that it, it'll be everything. It'll be everything we do for the next two years. Okay, so guys, that will be in the show notes. I'll make sure that'll be in there. But I would definitely, hey, guys, if you're if you're podcast listeners and things like that, I know guys reach out to me like, hey, should I, who should I be listening to? What sermons and all that? And some people that you've listened to recently aren't preaching anymore. And so you know, you got to fill the fill the uh, the you got to have some people come out of the bullpen for that. So let's actually transition into that because that came up in another conversation I had here recently. I was talking with Elisa Childers, and we were talking about pastors that have been disqualified, and we we're talking about some different things. And Elisa, she's awesome, and the work that she's doing is is crazy. Yeah. And like, dude, she's knuckles. She's really really nice. But she is knuckles and she will fight you. And I, I love it. But the, the thing that that is interesting to me is I'm wondering if we're seeing the beginning of a trend that is going way too far in the other way. So so let me set that up because I did a horrible job so far. So there are churches and there are ministries that have hid you know, but they've hid all the the problems from their churches, mm -hmm. right? They've they've hid the problems and and you know they've hid the the sexual piccadillies and they've hid the the money that was being pushed around. They've hid all of that and then it came out in the wash later and then it's it's caused them to be you know even worse because the cover up's always worse than the lie. But then here recently there was the situation with Matt Chandler who you know the 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 thing that was put out in the public about what happened doesn't make any sense like why would you say someone can't can't preach right now he refused to use the word sin he called it unhealth it doesn't make any sense but now everybody's imaginations are going all crazy and then also i remember you during this summer you apologized at the beginning of one of your sermons because you you said you said something about breastfeeding i think it was and dude like i was trying to catch up with all your sermons so i had just listened to the sermon that you had you were apologizing for your comment. I didn't even remember the comment because it was so innocuous. Uh, the comment, you know, coming through my ears, I was like, what? So part of my, my thing is, is like, it seems like what's happening at the village is that they took a situation that wasn't a big deal and they made it the biggest deal possible. And then it's now on everybody's headlines and it's all over Twitter. And that will follow a pastor like Matt Chandler for the rest of his life. And then something that in my opinion, you didn't need to apologize for You disagreed. You felt like you needed to apologize and that's your thing. 
are we maybe getting too soft on apologies now where we're, we're trying to appease people before anything really happens? Does that make sense? I feel like I'm maybe not making sense now I'm catching it. Well, um, yeah, our current situation doesn't make sense. So it's really hard to like, <laughs> yeah, like how the heck do you even describe it? But I, I hope like, obviously like Robbie RCIM should have known what was happening whenever Robbie Ooh. was doing his stuff. And that should have been mm -hmm. front page news. And they should have talked about it from the beginning. Everything that happened with Hillsong, Carl Lentz and Brian Houston, that should have been front page news from the beginning. They should have owned up to it. The Catholic church, you're not going to fall out of my eyesight as well. Like all this stuff should have been talked about, but it's like, we don't want to be apologizing for stuff that's not actually sinful. Do we? For sure, for sure. So uh, we'll start with me first. Yeah, I was joking about breastfeeding. Um, I was actually trying to set up the word hased in the Old Testament is a, a word picture of breastfeeding. Like, and it's for it, um, it's like we cry out and God gives us the thing we're crying for. That's what hased, steadfast love means. So I was trying to say it was like a really good thing, but I was joking way back in the day, a lady was breastfeeding on the front row and I found it a bit awkward. Okay. And so, dude. Oh boy! I mean, oh boy. the militant breastfeeding crew went crazy. I mean, absolutely, like yeah. lost their mind. Okay, so the reason I apologized, it, I, I do try to be very precise in my words. The Bible yeah. says, "Careless words stab like a sword." So intent, it you've you've still got to take responsibilities for things that are your responsibility, regardless of your intent. So if I was in your studio right now and I'm playing around with a knife and it slipped out of my hands and stuck you in the neck, it doesn't matter whether I meant to stick you or not. There's a problem. And it's my responsibility. And so that's what I said. I'm sorry. I was careless with my words. And, you know, that, that's really all I said. Then in that same sermon, though, about 30 minutes later, I did come back and say, let's talk about words. And let me just tell you, if you can't handle hyperbolic speech, you're not going to like this church. Like it's I've be a never problem. actually killed a cat. I don't like them. <laughs> I I actually don't like the Gators. Okay, I, I'm not going to like them. Oh, just some things that I've my my actual email address is not jimmycrackscorn at idon'tcare.com. That's a joke. Okay, mm -hmm. that's a I'm just joking. And you you're not going to like the teachings of Jesus because he told people if your eye causes you to sin and your hand causes you to sin, gouge it out and cut it off. And I don't think the one-handed group like sent him an email like, hey, wait a minute, everybody's going to think I lost, you know. Right. So, because I had to address that. Now, this current situation that we're in, bro, it's terrible, man. For sure, cover-up is terrible. But you don't get to solve, you don't get to solve um, covering up with gossip. That is not to solve. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole bunch of people, groups of people, that call what they do a ministry. And you cannot tell me it's not just straight, gossip about people that they're probably jealous of or just disagree with a little theologically. And all they are doing is gossiping. They're just, they're just slandering people and they don't have the information and they don't have a relationship with them. Oh, and, and I know you're will, not going to name names, but I will. Gospel Coalition, the Christian Post, like uh, Christianity Today, like the, these are entities that they love the headlines. They love putting stuff out there. Relevant Magazine, the stupidest name of any magazine ever because it doesn't mean anything. But anyway, go ahead. Well, it's just that, man. I mean, so Matt is a dear, dear friend of mine. Dude, Matt's a good dude, okay? And this thing just got all crazy. I mean, you want to talk about the most humble guy ever. Here's a guy willfully submitting to a group of elders. And you're right. There's this. There's no sin. The and the way that Christianity Today publicized, they say 
um, inappropriate online relationship. That's oh, not yeah. even what the article says. The article right. doesn't it, even say that. No one reads the article He's, and they knew that. Right. And so, man, so I tell you what it does, bro. It, it All it does is create suspicion, man. It creates mm -hmm. suspicion. The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast thing is one of the most popular things. All it does is raise suspicion. So, because, all right, I'm loud. I preach very aggressively. I preach long sermons. We got a big church. We're multi-site. We're actually nine. You write books. And Men follow you. Just, Men like you. Dude. And so I, <clears throat> how in the heck is, is creating suspicion good for the kingdom? Instead, I mean, Matthew 18 seems to say you, you have a relationship with somebody, you lean in. Let, let's take the way we started this podcast together, bro. I, I didn't even have a relationship with you. I just talked to you one time, texted you a few times. And and you were not, I don't, I'm not saying you were in sin, but what if I would have used my platform to just blast your podcast? That would have been an option. Yep. Or you could just pick up the phone and call somebody. And if you don't know them, maybe you should keep your mouth shut. Maybe you should talk to some people that do know them. Or maybe you should lean in and try to help. But yeah, there there is, I'm telling you what, you know what you call a thing that, lives off of dead bodies, maggots and vultures. And we got a bunch yeah. of that right now. So with that in mind, I feel like, you know, I named the names. You can go back and rewind it. I'll not name them again. And and again, we don't really know what happened in, in that situation with Pastor Chandler. We don't know with a, a bunch of these different situations. We don't know. We weren't there. But and again, you know, if you're in any type of PR or crisis management, if you've done any type of training in that area before, which I've done a little bit, it's like you only admit to what the public knows about. And so like that also creates suspicion. But one of the things that's very interesting with all of this is the fodder it gives to the deconstructionist crew to the progressive Christianity crew, to the ex-evangelical crew. This is a growing thing. And that's one thing that I mentioned with Elisa. I don't know if I maybe mentioned it off air, but I was like, these ex-evangelicals will go from dozens of followers on TikTok to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok in a few weeks. And I'm like, well, that's, that's a, a app that is ran by the Chinese Communist Party that is one of their plans to help erode America from the inside. Don't you think that's one of the things that they would want to do is to elevate the voices of these really good looking, really nicely produced ex-evangelicals that have deconstructed and found Christianity to be wanting, but they're kind of like mealy mouth version of morality to be like the best thing that's ever come, come across. And so I find that to be harmful in a lot of different ways because I'm all for truth. I'm all for justice. Yeah. I want, I wish Ravi Zacharias was alive when all the things came out about the stuff that he did so that he would have had to have suffered on this planet and faced judgment on this planet. That's just kind of where I come from these things. Again, I'm, I'm really, really aggressive, but talk to me a little bit about that. Cause I know that you've not come to blows like literally, but with the ex-evangelical, the progressive Christianity, the, why aren't you being nice? Uh, you know, you're not loving your neighbor type stuff. Some of that's wrapped up in the stuff that we heard with the C word back in 2020, the V word, you're supposed to get to take care of the C word, even though it doesn't help you not get the C word. All of those things are kind of wrapped up in this thing to where it's like, I think you're just being mean, Joby. You're being too aggressive. You're being too mean. And you're also causing me church hurt, which is apparently the biggest tent ever to where if you ever stubbed your toe in a church and all the way up to the main pastor raping you, that you've been this part of church hurt. And it's like, those people that have experienced actual church hurt are the ones that are going to not benefit from you saying everything that could ever possibly happen that's negative is church hurt. I got to stop talking because I'm about to pass out. You go. 
Not, but you know, if, if you experience church hurt, it'd be more accurate to say these individuals at this church hurt me. It's not like the whole organization came against you and conspired against yeah. you to hurt you. And there's all these terms that are thrown around now that, you know, like spiritual abuse. And I'm, and I know that happens, but it is used so much now. Basically, that means I disagree with what you said. And so now that's spiritual abuse. And honestly, mm-hmm. man, it's, you talk about it a lot. You're talking about the infiltration of Marxism in our society. And as it makes its way in the church, then what the really Marxists that don't even know they are, that are only see things in a power dynamic differentiation instead of like the Bible sees it different in the federal headship based on like Romans 5, either your head is Adam or your head is Jesus. If, if you begin to immediately see it in power dynamics, then they just create a new glossary of terminology for churches and they're doing the same things there. And so here's what I found, bro. If COVID taught me anything, no matter what I do or say, it's all three little bears. For some people, it's not enough. For some people, too, it's too much. And for some people, it's just right. Well, listen, man, all I can do is grab the plow, not look back and go in the direction that Jesus has called me to go. And if anybody wants to come with me, let's go. But I am not placating to either the, to either the people right of me or left of me. I'm just going to try to do what he has called me to do. But it is a very, very sick situation that we have right now. Well, it's a sick situation and it's almost impossible to traverse because, I mean, I think you you mentioned this one of our first interactions where it's like you got two emails back to back. One was where, hey, you you talk about race too much at your church. And the very next email was you never talk about race. What's wrong with you? I'm leaving the church. And the same right. thing that, that'll happen on my show because I try to make it as clear as possible. But now I have the words for it. It's like, guys, on Undaunted Life of Man's, polit- uh, Man's uh, podcast, we will talk about faith. We will talk about culture. We will talk about politics. And that's not one third of each of those things. And there's going to be seasons where I focus on only one or only the others or different things like that. And if you don't like that, you know what you can do to save you and me a bunch of time and consternation is just move on. Go listen to some other show. Don't send me a 14 page email explaining to me why you're leaving my show. Just break up with me. Just tell me yeah. it's not going to work out so I can mourn the loss of that one listener and kind of move on with the rest of my life. But it does create this thing that if you are especially more emotive, empathetic, and you always want to please people, you're going to you're gonna be destroyed as a pastor or as a podcaster or as a blogger, as anything. At some point, you have to set a heading for what you're wanting to do. And the heading might be something like, I don't know. I'm holding up the word of God in front of me right now. Maybe understanding this a little bit deeper and digging into the stuff that's happening there is going to give you the correct heading that you need so that you don't get swayed by what's happening in the world in the news cycle. So here's one thing I did do, though, because there is a difference between pastoring a church and leading a podcast, because this Mm -hmm. is a this is a family. I mean, you know, like you're a member of the church kind of thing. Right. So I'm not just like, I don't care about you, sheep. You just leave. If people would write me mean emails and and tell me why they're leaving, I would just call them on the phone and say, I just need you to read that email to me. And not one person could do it. (laughs) I wonder why not. Because I was like, no, I mean, like I married your kids, you know, like I buried your grandma. Like, don't you remember that mission trip we went on? Like, Mm. so, and you and I haven't even talked yet. You're doing this because of a decision we made about mask or no mask or meeting or not meeting or, you know, whatever, whatever the thing was, there's about five things people could choose from to be mad at. And I'm, and that's fine. So what do I need to learn? But I need, we need to do this face to face. We need to, or at least on the phone. And, and I'm telling you, they couldn't man. Cause now we're talking about people. Yeah. And, and 
man, these devices are are killing our ability to interact with one another face to face, right? I mean, there's some wonderful things about them, like this podcast. I'm blessed by your podcast on a weekly basis. But then, um, you know, I think it was Mike Tyson when he was just like, nobody would talk to each other like this when I was oh, growing up because you just punched no, them. No, exactly. It's just true. Well, yeah. Well, the same thing is like, look at the, you mentioned the rise and far of, a fall of, Mar, of Mars Hill. Like, if we didn't have this podcast medium, like what, what is somebody going to write a 20 part uh, series in the New York times, this expose on this pastor, no one's going to read that. Even whenever newspapers were the thing where you went down to the corner and, you know, spent 50 cents and got the New York times, like, well, like no one's going to, they actually that. had it. They actually had an editor and a publisher that had to approve things. These days you could just get on the internet with whatever pen you, you have mm -hmm. and it's instant, it's global and it's forever. And it doesn't have to be true at all. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've experienced that stuff where people come against us for whatever reason. And the things they're saying is not even true. Yeah. Well, and to a degree, you want to correct the record because capital T truth means something. But at the same time, you can't always react to the slings and arrows that come your way because then you give them gasoline to the few sparks that have been, been lit for that or something like that. But that actually, you know, in a funny way, comes back to something that I wanted to circle back to that we talked about very early in the podcast. You mentioned Joe Rogan. I mentioned Jordan Peterson. Those are two guys that they've tried to be canceled. I mean, look at the last year, year and a half for those two gentlemen. They've tried to yeah. be canceled in just about every single way that a human being can be canceled, and they've only gotten bigger. So there's a lesson. Take Jordan Peterson's advice whenever the slings and arrows are coming your way. Just batten down the hatchets for about two weeks. Plug your ears. And then whenever everything dies down and they found somebody else to be mad at and sling their arrows at, then come back out and do your thing. But don't change your entire worldview because someone got mad at you and gave you the sads. Yeah. He also said – he Jordan – Peterson also says, don't apologize if you haven't done anything wrong. So back to when exactly. I took responsibility, I was, I was apologize, apologizing for being careless with my words. And I'm going to tell you, as a preacher who, as bold and confident as I may seem, I'm a big old ball of ego and insecurity, just like all the rest of us, especially those of us that like fight and work out and all of that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's straight back to wild at heart, and I know you love that stuff. And I will go for the funny reaction. Like I just, I, and I can, man, I can do it. I can make people laugh and I can go there. And it's a real sign in me of immaturity. And I sensed I did that. And now people are like, they didn't hear any of the message because they're so angry. And there was this mob forming. And so I could take responsibility for my words being careless. Now, if I was careful with my words and somebody got angry, I mean, I get it all the time because I tell people, if you die without Christ, you're going to hell. And people get right. very angry at that. Well, I'm obviously not yeah. going to apologize for that because that's the truth. So, but I, I think it's right. You don't apologize if you hadn't done anything wrong. Yeah, I think that's a, a great way to operate. But the the cultural influence, and let's not talk about culture because that gets into a bunch of different stuff. Let's just talk about the church because okay. there are young boys and young men and old men, frankly, in the church that are being catechized and discipled by Jordan B. Peterson and Joe Rogan. And there are some very, very positive things about those two gentlemen. And then there's are unbelievably negative things about those two gentlemen as well. Way more so on the Joe Rogan side than on the right, Jordan yeah. Peterson side for sure. Totally. But I get the struggle that you had with your teenage son to where he likes listening to Joe Rogan because when he's talking to a comedian, it's three hours of laughter and fun. When he's talking to a neuroscientist or a nutritionist or something like that, you learn stuff from people that you would have never even knew existed, but they were brought onto that show. You know, you're going to get understanding 
about things of this world. You're going to understand things about God from reading 12 rules for life or going back to his you know, series that he did on Genesis, you know, looking at the, the psychological side of, you know, from a clinical psychologist point of view on the book of Genesis, he's about to do one on Exodus. He's writing a new book about God right now. You're going to be able to glean some amazing things from those guys. But at the end of the day, neither one of those guys are Christians. And so they're not bringing actual fruits or jewels or treasure from the Christian worldview to bear in the stuff that they're doing because they are not grounded in a Judeo-Christian ethic. They're heavily influenced by it, but these are not gospel-centered human beings. So talk to me about kind of the good and bad of that. And even as a pastor, like how much can you expose yourself to that before it starts to poison the well? All right, so... All right, don't crucify me here or any of your people. Give me a little, a little latitude theologically. Very I'm as conservative little. as it gets. Like Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. It seems, doesn't it seem to you? I've been thinking about this, man. With Jordan Peterson, you can't spend that much time in the Word of God over time and it mm-hmm. not affect you. Like it yeah. seems to me, like He is on His way. Yeah, You know, like, is he just not using the right terminology? I mean, hey, every time he talks about Jesus, he cries and says he right. loves him. And you know what I mean? Like, so I'm not ready to like, I, I'm no one's judge. We all know that. But I was just thinking about it. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah that the word of God will never return void or in vain. It always does what it sets out to do. Just like the rain waters the earth and it makes the crops grow. You cannot study God's word like that dude has been in the word, even if it's with the wrong motive and the wrong angle. It's changing him. It is change. He talks about God way differently now than he did three years ago. And he talks about the supremacy of Christ differently and all these things. He just needs, in my opinion, like I could tell Jordan Peterson anything, he's a smart dude. He needs an actual conservative Bible believing evangelical theologian to help him out a little bit. He really mm-hmm. does not just like the Catholic brainiacs and the, you know, high church Anglican brainiacs, but people that believe the, the red words are from Jesus. All the words are inspired by God. The miracles actually happen like a legitimate, I would love, I don't know who Al Moeller or somebody to just like say, Hey, here's historically, this is what this passage has come to mean to the church. Now tear it apart and do whatever you're going to do. The mm-hmm. Joe Rogan thing, bro. Um, honestly, bro, I swear, I, I wish I could get my hands on that dude. I, 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 I think if he, he hung out here for a year, he'd be, he'd either, he'd have to choose for this day who he's going to serve, either keep serving himself and his flesh like he is, or put his faith in Jesus. But even mm-hmm. he is on his bit of a, he's more of like a, just a conservative journey more so, but, but it's hard, man. It's hard. I, um, you know, Mark Driscoll, I don't know how much people would like me quoting him, but that's a smart dude, man. He says that when it comes to culture, there's one of three things that you do. I think this is really helpful. He says some things you just reject. You just outright reject it. And then there's some things that you just receive. Like it's just good as is. It's a it's it's God's general revelation to us all. And mm-hmm. then there's a section of things that we need to redeem. And so I think instead of just looking at either of those guys and just putting them in either camp, you, you dissect up the content and say, no, you know, I'm going to reject that. I'm not, you know, every time Jordan Peterson just talks about how we all evolved to be here, that's, I'm rejecting that. There's some things I'm just going to receive just like he says it. And then there's some things in there that are very redeemable. The same thing with Joe Rogan. I think a part of the, 
draw to Joe Rogan is very few men have actual friends these days. Mm. And they feel like they feel like Joe Rogan's their buddy sitting in the truck just talking about interesting things. And yeah. they're kind of uh they're kind of it's like a voyeuristic friendship with a guy that is way cooler than they will ever be able to be friends with. And so they just kind of latch on to it. I think that actually that actually makes a ton of sense because it's like people will listen to podcasts. Like, you know, we've had ours since 2017. And so people talk to me when they meet me for, for the first time, they, they talk to me like they know me because to yeah. a degree they do know me. Like you've met people that have maybe watched your sermons for a while. Then they moved oh, to yeah. Jacksonville and now they go to your church and they meet you for the first time. They feel like they know Joby. They feel like they know the family kind of a thing. The, the, the concern that I do have even with a guy like Joe Rogan is people love to have their ears tickled and they don't like to check check the work and they don't like to check the sources. So when a guy like Joe Rogan will say, Oh man, the Bible, we can't trust that now. Like we don't even know that Jesus actually really existed and it's been translated and read translated so many different times. He has no understanding at all Correct. about how Correct. the scripture has gotten Correct. from the people that were the scribes that were, you know, basically making yeah. copies to how it got to us today. He's so unbelievably ignorant on that particular subject. Yeah. So, he, yeah he's quoting his like freshman community college, English professor. Yeah, or his philosophy. Also high, 23 years old. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. And yeah, so, so they're a philosophy professor. That's like, oh, those types of things. But in one thing, because Driscoll's come up a few times in this podcast. So Mark Driscoll, right now, guys, if you're listening to this right now, he's got a podcast for for his men, and I, I could look it up later. But if you search Mark Driscoll, I think it's called like I think it's called Men. I can't remember, but he's got like a podcast just Probably for his real men. men. Real men. That's right. And so uh, it, it's every Wednesday he has men that gather at his church there in Arizona and they do some different things. He is in the middle of a blistering week by week uh, manhood series that he's releasing on that right now. And so I've not listened to the rise and far, fall of Mars Hill. I'm not going to spend 20 hours listening to that. I'm just not really interested in it. I, if you say he's disqualified for ministry, okay, maybe I can take that. All I know is that I am getting a tremendous amount of value out of the things that he's saying right now. And he is taking his truths that he's spitting right back to the scripture. This is not, Hey, I'm taking this because I read a growth model book or because I got my MBA or because, you know, some Eastern philosopher said I should probably start saying things a little bit in this way to make it more manageable for the entire population. So again, don't be so quick to d dismiss a guy like Mark Driscoll because you know, the people that made the rise and fall of Mars Hill don't exactly like him. Did, did you have something you want to say on Mark? Yeah. Like I, I'm not, I don't know personally, like you were talking about Chandler, I know personally what's going on there. And so, you know, I can, that, that leads me to make some decisions um, and, and know that, that Chandler's going to be just fine. And, um, and God bless him for being so humble and doing what his elders are asking him to do. But, um, but I don't know all the details of what went on in Mars Hill, even though I, I know a lot of people are there and stuff, but I will tell you this. So I'm not in a position to say whether he disqualified himself or not. That's not my call. I don't have anything to do with that. But that dude is a one of the most gifted Bible teachers in our generation. And if you're going to cancel people because they did a bad thing, then you better cancel the book of Psalms because the guy that wrote the most of them yep. was a cancelable guy. And yet God redeemed him. And God remembers David's story way different than David's story. Like it says about, bro, when you get into like the, the later chapters of Second Kings and stuff, it'll say, um, and he followed in the footsteps of David who never sinned against the Lord. It says things like that. Was always upright before the Lord. No, he wasn't. That's a redacted mm. history because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, God's been making straight lines with crooked sticks for a real long time. And 
I, I, we got to be, we need to restore brothers. We need to, we need to love brothers. We need to call out sin where there's sin, particularly when you have a relationship with somebody. We need to invite people to have accountability in our lives, right? Um, mm. But it needs to be for the sake of restoration. And we, we've got to be, there's got to be a lot more grace. And, and you can't, you're, you are going to be the one that misses out if you cancel people just because they've ever done anything wrong or they said something you didn't like. Because well, that dude, the way, I still listen to him all the time. Well, and the, the way that I've described it to people is so like one of the greatest things that I learned from Robbie Zacharias is that every worldview has to answer four questions, origin, meaning, morality, destiny, origin. Where do we yep. come from? Meaning, why are we here? Morality, how do we tell the difference between good and evil? Destiny, where do we go when we die? Now, he didn't make that up like that. That's, you know, wisdom from passed down from centuries that he just kind of yep. packaged in a different way. So am I supposed to never say that again in the off chance that someone's like, oh, Ravi Zacharias, a rapist right. came up with that. How dare you say those things? It's like, dude, if you don't believe that words spoken by sinners can be redeemed, then don't just throw away Psalms. You need to throw away about two thirds of the New Testament. Right. Because those are those are written down by some people that did some pretty awful things up to and including yeah. murder. And so, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about in there. But I know we're kind of wrapping up towards time. So I'm going to pick one last thing to talk about. I want to talk about jujitsu. So I did yeah. not know this about you the first time that we talked, but you haven't just trained. You've made it all the way to purple belt. I just got my purple belt in January of this year. Now we yeah. almost right after that had a baby. And so I have not been able to train nearly as much as I would have wanted to. But as we get into 2023, I'll be back on the saddle kind of in a more regular training schedule. But I found nothing as an adult male that has been more impactful for me overall in terms of my development overall as a man, you know, church and, and Bible studies and all that stuff, notwithstanding than jujitsu, because if you're trying to cultivate spiritual, mental, and physical resilience on a daily basis, go train jujitsu on a daily basis. If you've got an ego problem, you need to go get wrapped up by a 16 year old blue belt. Then you just get dumped on your head. And here you are this 40 year old guy with biceps. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's not going to work out well for you tonight is comp class. And guess what? I'm going to look around and there's going to be quite a bit of hammers and very few nails. And I don't know which category I'm going to be yet in yet whenever I walk in there. But I beg guys to train jujitsu. You know, we have a relationship with Origin. They make the best geese on the planet. Guys, use my promo code Kyle to, to get 10% off to buy your geese and all that stuff. That's all great. But talk to me about what got you into jujitsu because you had an athletic background. You could have just stuck with the bench press and bicep curls until, you know, you got to an age where it's like, yeah, I used to work out and I used to be strong and you don't have to anymore because you have enough gray in your beard. But why go and do that? Like, cause that's, that's a hard sport for a lot of people to get into brother. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, I've been a competitor for a long time. You know, I guess I started playing sports like five, six years old, baseball and played football in high school, wrestled in high school and college, and then, and then was enamored by all the MMA, UFC stuff. So, like, I was in college when that came out in the early 90s, and we used to have to go get, like, these bootleg VHSs to watch yeah. it. It was crazy. And, um, Man, there was a guy at my church that uh, he ran a gym, and I led his son to Christ. And he was like, "You ever thought about coming and train?" And I was like, "I'd love to, but it's too expensive." And he's like, "Free membership, let's go." And uh, it was a Gracie school back then, and I just started training, and just like you, fell in love with it, dude. You have never been so humbled in your life, especially. Mm. So this is even this is like 15 years ago when I first started, and relatively athletic, you know, lift weights, can bench press uh, relatively a lot. And then you would just grab on a 50-year-old man, just look like a piece of dough, and he would yeah. absolutely dominate you. Like, yep. 
ab, and then you would go the absolute other direction, be a 20-year-old skinny kid, 6'3", weighed 145 pounds. And if you if you if he tried to fight you in the parking lot, you would think I'm about to stomp a mud hole in this kid. And that joker would tie you up and absolutely yep. embarrass you. I was yep. bigger, faster, stronger, more athletic, and lost right. every time. <laughs> exactly. And so I loved that. I loved it. I loved it getting handed to me. And then I also had a wrestling background. So our guy was like, don't wrestle, don't wrestle, learn jujitsu, learn jujitsu. And then when I got my blue belt, he said, start wrestling again. Mm. And so then I was able to kind of put some of that stuff together, which was helpful. Uh, and I actually got my blue belt from Hoist. And uh, and in his schools, they were always like, white, blue, forget about it. Like, you're never going to yeah. get beyond blue. So when I finally got a purple, it was it was big. And then my kid, JP, my son, who is who would be 17 next month, he got when he hit like seven, eight years old and his sport started to ramp up, my jujitsu started to go way down. Mm-hmm. But starting about three years ago, he started training. Um, he's been in three tournaments, won them all. He still hasn't gotten scored on yet. So uh he he honestly gonna he thinks he's gonna be a, a UFC champion. Like if you ask him, and somebody's gotta be, so you know. Yeah. Might as well be him. I'm hoping he gets a B in English. That's what I'm really hoping. So, so now <laughs> I'm starting to train again, but it's mostly like to spend time with him. And I'm getting it handed to me again, bro. Hey, I, I try to tell people all the time. I've talked to a lot of guys that started training jujitsu in their 40s. I started training whenever I turned 30. And it, like, there are ways to train where you can take care of yourself and you don't have to go crazy. Like, I tap early, tap off, and that applies all yeah, the way yeah. up to black belt. Yeah, no because problem. I know a lot of guys that are black belts now that they were you know, 10 plus years in before this whole leg lock revolution came through. And so if they're like, well, I'm a black belt, I'm not going to tap to this heel hook. They're going to go into surgery the next week. And so like, you know, it's just having that humility. And the other thing about it, Joby, and I know you would co-sign this is the baddest dudes in the room are always the calmest. They're not the ones pounding on their chest. They're not the ones getting mad. If they get subbed, they're not the ones slamming the wall and, and cussing and doing all these different things. They're just relaxed because they've been beaten so many times and they've gotten to a level to where they can see the other side and they're like, okay, I know a thing or two, but those are the guys in the bar. When people start popping off and throwing chairs and bottles, they're just going to casually walk out. But if you go poking your finger in their chest, they can handle it. Bro. I, and I would much rather roll with a black belt than like a blue belt because it's the black belts are so smooth. Mm-hmm. And they're even going to let you roll. Like if you if you do something sweet, they're going to be like, "All right, that's cool," because they they still know. <laughs> right. Even though if you just got in dominant position, you're not going to be there long because I'm going to take you back again. But it's like like you can really get better. You know, if if I wrestle with an aggro blue belt, it's it's just a lot of like, uh, and it's like riding a bucket bronco. You know, it's kind of all over yep. the place. And one of my favorite things about it is it's like it's it's one of the few sports, one of the few like fighting sports that you can go full out on a Tuesday night right. and go to work the next day. Yeah. You can't do that in Muay Thai. You, you have to mm-hmm. go to the hospital. If you, get, if you get kicked in the jaw, you're dead, man. So you can go 100% and then, just like you're saying, just tap and you know play nice and go to work the next day. And you'll get a little, get a little mat burn on your face, but that's all. 
Right. And I mean, you're exactly right. Like you should train striking. You should train Western boxing and you should train Muay Thai and kickboxing and all those different things. But if you go full bore, that means you're sparring. That means you're, you're taking shots to the head. There's basically no two ways around it, but and maybe even to kind of wrap up here with the Jordan Peterson thing, one of his 12 rules, I think it was in the, the first rules book is compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. And one of the biggest lessons I've ever gotten in my jujitsu life, Tyler Murrow, who is, you know, basically our, our dominant champion. He was a Brown belt IBJJF world champion. He's one of the great greatest jujitsu guys that, that I've ever rolled with, you know, cause I have rolled with Andre Galval. So I, I kind of have to put him there, but you know, I've rolled with this human being more than I've rolled with anyone else on the planet. So this was whenever I would, I'd either just gotten my blue belt or it was right for blue belt or something. So it was comp class. So, right. It's two hours of looking around, only seeing hammers and you're like, Oh, well, I guess I'm the nail. So it's two hours of just eating it just over and over and over tapping constantly. You're getting frustrated and I'm so competitive. I'm so ego. So I go into the locker room and I'm brooding, right? I'm just like, man, I just can't, can't freaking believe this. And I don't even know if I should do this anymore. And Tyler came in real calm. Like I've talked about this on my show a bunch, but he came in real calm. Like, and he was just like, Hey, uh, you okay? And I'm like, Oh man, it's frustrating practice. And I got tapped a whole bunch and he goes, Hey, Kyle, what would you have done to the Kyle from six months ago if you were to roll with him? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I would kill that guy. And then he's like, right. then shut up. He's like, you've gotten a lot better, better in the last six months, but so have all of we. Like we're all your yeah. teammates, right? And so it's like, that's just what it's going to be. You're a white belt right now, or you're just a blue belt right now. But if you keep training, if you keep coming and paying your dues, one day you're going to be the guy walking into the to the locker room and there's that athletic wrestler white belt with one stripe on his belt that's you know thinking about quitting and you're just like, dude, just don't quit. Tap early, tap often, and keep coming and taking your medicine because it's good for you. All right. Can I play preacher real quick? Let's go. That was a really, really great illustration of progressive sanctification. Because oftentimes, okay. man, we have a day and your hands in your head at the end of the night and you're like, <laughs> man, I suck. I cannot believe me. How yeah. did I do that thing again? Look at that again. Say that again. Uh, and maybe the spirit of God, like your coach, could come in and tap you on the shoulder and be like, all right, have you... Have you taken steps to follow me since a year ago? I know you stumble. I know you tap. I know you get choked out sometimes. But are you still moving in the right direction? Okay, well, then get your head up because I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So don't quit. Keep fighting. Keep progressing. That's I think that's awesome. That's exactly what discipleship is. And I cannot think of a better place to leave this conversation. We'll certainly have you back on. You got some books coming out next year and when you got more stuff going yeah. on, so we'll make sure we get you back on here. But for now, that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? Yeah, man, keep doing what you're doing. And I need, I need you to think about, pray about ways to use this platform to encourage all, especially the men that listen, to find a good Bible teaching church to be a part of, not just be critical of. And if there are changes that need to be made because no church is perfect, man, maybe that happens from the inside as you as you serve and lead as opposed to from the outside throwing rocks. Roger that. You got it. Joby Martin, thank you for coming back on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thanks, bro. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed the return appearance of Joby Martin on our show. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And just a reminder, do not forget to go support the sponsor of today's show, KC Cattle Company. Go to kccattlecompany.com. That's kccattlecompany.com. Use the promo code Kyle to get 15% off your order. Again, that promo code is just my first name, Kyle, K-Y-L-E, for 15% off your order at kccattlecompany.com. So the links I've got for you today, I've got a link to If the Tomb is Empty. That is the book 
that we talked about on episode 307. We didn't talk about it much here, but obviously when we have him on next year to talk about his next book, you're going to make sure that you have read that one. I've got a link to the Church of 1122 website. So again, guys, if you're wanting to support the stuff that they're doing there, especially with all the stuff that Joby talked about, that's one way that you can do that. And then I've also got a link to Joby's Instagram. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.